The following podcast is sponsored by Chicks with Scripts. Advancing the career of women storytellers, Chicks with Scripts is a community and social group that inspires, brings together, and champions women television writers to balance the TV writing industry. Chicks with Scripts, championing women writers since 2010. Go to chickswithscripts.org for more information. Hey Firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the Firecracker Department. How's everybody doing? Hmm, are you enjoying the fall leaves? Are you enjoying the change of the season? What are you doing to stay creative? What are you doing to get through these COVID times, these isolated times, and sometimes these creatively challenging times? Go to our social media, whether it's our Facebook group, our Twitter, or our Instagram at firecrackerdept, and share some links. Share some inspiration. You never know who's going to need it, and I bet somebody does. Thanks for supporting each other. We're coming together, and it's pretty exciting. Big shout-out. Here's my firecracker shout-out to Emily Churchill. Emily Churchill's one of our firecracker core gals. She's not only one of the funniest people I know. She and I did a, a short film called Stark Raving Actress that she is so funny in. And you better believe I'll let you know when that's being released. But she also produces the after show for Firecracker Department. And Emily also does the wellness department. And she just does these meditations that bring such joy and light and love. And that's just Emily Churchill. So if you want to be part of some of her meditations or be part of some of her workshops, go to her own website called letshealthisshit.com. That's right, letshealthisshit.com. And if you know Emily, that is so Emily Churchill. And find out more about her meditations. She's always got cool workshops going on and she's just a delight. That's my shout out to Emily Churchill, letshealthisshit.com. Our guest today is script coordinator, writer, human rights advocate, former attorney, and founder of Chicks with Scripts. What? That's a lot. It's Eva Taylor. I so enjoyed meeting Eva Taylor. I have to say that I had heard of Chicks with Scripts for a long time, uh, living in Los Angeles. And um, I participated in a couple of their panels and uh, went to a couple of their events and they were always just full of just such great people. I not only came away from these events with uh, meeting interesting people that were writers, but also having a good laugh and being inspired to write myself. So if you are in LA, connect with chickswithscripts.org and get in on the action that they are creating because it's really exciting. And Eva Taylor, who I spoke to today, started the whole shebang. I mean, this woman is so, I mean, she's funny for sure and frank and she's just so firecrackery. Eva's got such a, an amazingly unique journey personally and professionally and we talk all about it in my upcoming discussion. Through Chicks with Scripts, we discussed like a fun way of partnering with Firecrack Department and Chicks with Scripts because they are both on the same journey. And we ended up creating a thing called the Firecracker Chicks Awards to recognize the female and non-binary director, writers, actors, uh, editors, sound producers, all the different categories within award ceremonies that don't get recognized. And so we put this Firecracker Chicks Award together and uh, the results are still up. So check out the link in our show notes. And uh, I'm not saying like we made the Emmys happen, but our winner among your votes for TV comedy actor was Catherine O'Hara from Schitt's Creek. So I'm just saying we were ahead of the curve and we're all just so thrilled and happy and excited. She just so happened to be recently Emmyed during the Schitt's Creek Awards, AKA the Emmys. And I'm just so excited for Annie Murphy who got an Emmy Award for Schitt's Creek and she was our second guest ever on Firecracker Department. So you can actually revisit that podcast and we talk about when she first got cast in Schitt's Creek and her journey. It's just, um, it's kind of a cool little moment in time uh, looking back to that podcast discussion with Annie and then seeing where she is now. And speaking of incredible firecrackers, let's talk more about Eva Taylor. Holy moly, she has worked on The Red Line for CBS, Paradise Lost for Paramount Network, and High School Musical, the musical, the series, for Disney. She's currently a script coordinator and has worked with the incredible firecracker producers, mentors, writers, you name it. She's just an amazing person and her journey is so unique and she just, she says it like it is. She's one of those people that you hang out and you're like, I want more of Eva Taylor. So, guess what? Here's more of Eva Taylor coming right at you. 
good. Oh, so you seem pretty set up then. Yeah, we're good. I mean, honestly, I feel horrible saying it, but like, this hasn't been that much different than my regular life (laughs) because I'm not that social. Like, I'm I'm social, but like within my own terms, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I don't go out that much. Like, I'm not a bar person. I'm not a club person. I'm not, I'm like, none of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, I'm a TV person. Um, and I've gotten to like see some of my friends that I haven't seen very often. We've done like the Zoom essentially play dates for grownups, um, you know, booze and whatnot. Um, so that's been good and it's allowed me to like, I got another pilot done, which I definitely wouldn't have gotten done if we were shut down. Um, I'm, I'm a script coordinator on a series. So like us getting shut down, um, is horrible because obviously there's all the people that work in production and the actors and the rest of the writer's room. Um, but all in all, this hasn't changed my life all that much. Right. You know, I'm, I get, I, I know I'm getting to the point though, where it's starting to get to me a little bit because I found myself bored with TV, which has never happened in my entire life. But I'm also bored with screens. I like, usually I'm just like nonstop. If I have time, I'm watching something. So this has been like like I read a book last week which like hasn't happened in so long and I was like such like a book like just like a complete bookworm growing up but then um like law school fixes that for most people I think like it's just like I feel like from college and law school I did so much reading I was a philosophy major so all you do is read that um I really lost some of my love of reading and this I don't know if it's brought it back but I was like so proud of myself for reading a book it's like anything that takes you off the computer or the TV. Yeah, yeah. Something like cooking or reading yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I made dinner. Like, I deserve a trophy because I also hate cooking. I'm not a cook. So um, it's been interesting. Yeah, and I repotted a bunch of succulents and plants yesterday. Another yes. thing that is not me at all. Yes. Like, I am not handy. I'm not, like, domestically talented or interested. So um, it has been a little weird. What's your binge these days? What's the thing that... Um, well, I have used, um, I've used my time for very important things, like finally watching The Wire, um, as a TV writer, um, you will be shunned by your community if you have not seen The Wire. I watched The Wire wire. so passionately that my father came over at one point and I was like, I have to frisk you. Like I was so, you know what I mean? Or I, I started getting so involved in it that I would see somebody across the road and be like, a deal's going down. A deal's going down. Oh like I was God. so involved in oh it. Um, and then oddly enough, the guy who plays the junkie informant on the wire, I forget his That's, name. He's cool. He's like always hanging out with Kima and giving Kima yeah. the tips and whatever. Yeah. Um, he, I, I just watched Interrogation, which is okay. on CBS All Access. And he uh, plays a private investigator in that. And I was like, how do I know that guy? Like I've seen that guy because he has such like a very specific tone to his voice and yeah. a look and whatever and then I was like oh my god he plays the like junkie like informant on the wire so that was cool so um I binge everything right now I yeah I watched all the wire I I am up to date on the last seasons of dead to me of working moms um I finally watched parasite I'm not a huge movie person like yeah, I don't why, know why that is that? I, person. Yeah, um, I finally watched Parasite. My, one of my roommates is like a member in uh, DSA, which is like the Democratic Socialists of America or something. So like she had talked about how it's supposed to have all these like socialist themes and themes about like income inequality and like class and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so I finally watched that and definitely did not understand it at that level at all. Um, but, um, <laughs> but I feel good. I watched the one that won. So that's my movie, uh, quarter for the year. Um, I just watch everything. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's kind of, I go back and forth between watching things that I feel like I'm supposed to watch, right? Like right. I'm supposed to watch The Wire and, um, Normal People is really amazing. I don't know if you've seen that yet. It's oh, BBC. thank you. Um, it is hot. It is like hot, hot, hot. Okay. Um, but Wait, I go is that the one? Thing. Is that the one with Tina Fey? No. No, no, no. That's um like morning news. I I think or something. No morning this news. This one is, is called crazy. Normal People, and it's these Irish actors, and it's a BBC program. Thank you. I and love like, everything BBC. Like they're playing teen. They're playing like high school students. 
it's it's really oh, good. okay thank you for the recommendation um so i would definitely say start that okay. but i kind of go back between watching those sort of things things that either i watch because i feel like i have to to yeah. like keep my like tv education up to date which is impossible these days with all the different platforms and then going back to like my like day-to-day -day loves which are like 48 hours in dateline and just like yeah. i call it murder porn just all Meet and then I can I find know. It. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I know there's a weird addiction with like, cause that's the podcast I listen to. Oh yeah. Me too. Like, all the cult stuff. All the no, a lot of them are horrible. I'm like, this is a horrible but podcast. Then, why do I keep listening? Why do to I keep it? listening? Like, why isn't there a new episode? Yeah. 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 <laughs> but what is that? Like, what do you think the attraction is? Cause, cause I'm in comedy. Like I'm not supposed to find that inspiring, but I, I'm I'm so fine. I started out as a drama writer, but I'm kind of moving into the like dramedy comedy space. Not like, not like multicam comedy or anything, but more, you know, your single cam stuff. It's kind of in the middle. Um, and, um, I think, I don't know, I've always been into it. Um, and I think at least for women, um, or it's such a disadvantage in terms of being safe in this country and in the world, but like, so many of these episodes they like they get their guy they get their man and so it kind oh, of like, I feel yeah. like forces that like there is justice which like i think is bullshit but um uh yeah there's something satisfying <laughs> the system in I, I used to be an attorney and i just feel like the system in general is definitely not just but like these reinforce the ideas like in my head that like it'll be okay like you yeah. might end up dead and chopped into pieces and floating in a river but they'll find him <laughs> it'll be yes cool. yes it'll be okay <laughs> it'll be okay yeah i don't know i i started binge listening a lot to a lot of cult stuff i don't know if you're into that oh one. yeah but then i was like i was telling my friend I'm like why am i so attracted to that and just like uh, you like bringing people together. <laughs> and I was like, well, you're not wrong. I mean, I'm not going to ask people to brand themselves or anything. Yeah, that exactly. Way. That's oh, where that's... I draw the line. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like, I always go back to it. And it's not like, it's not like a surprise. Like, I know what's going to happen. Like, yeah. the boyfriend did it, the husband did it. Like, there's, it's not a surprise, no. you know? Um, like, look at your, so your life, because I've done some research on you, and look yeah. at your life. Like that's a, that's the movie. That's the show. Like your life is so colorful. And I think about the things that you need to A, be an attorney, B, be in any kind of show business role, like writing. Yeah. And you need, like you need confidence, you need stability, you need uh, go to itness. And those are things that I wouldn't think would be developed with somebody that had as much transition in their childhood as somebody like you. Yeah, no, they're not. I'm highly medicated. So that helps. <laughs> Um, I mean, good. I mean, if that's worth that, I laugh, but I'm like, that's, you know, works. Um, no, there's been a lot of just like crazy shit that has happened in my life. Um, and I know a lot of people can say that. Um, I feel like because of the sandbox I play in, uh, toe to toe, like I win, I win that, that yeah. round of, um, of trauma roulette, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, some people are like, oh no, my, my life was really crazy. I grew up with a single mom. I mean, you're like, shut it down. Here we go. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I once, I once, how can I, well, he won't listen to it. I once um, was talking to an exec at uh, one of the big studios, um, network studios, and he had shared that his like uh, worst experience or most challenging experience was when he lost um god if he hears this is gonna be hilarious that he lost I mean, we're not saying any names yeah 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 nobody nobody will know unless they were in that small room but like his biggest challenge was that he ran for president or vice president or something of his like college class at this you know very elite um liberal arts school and he lost and it was just like devastating. that was it which like I'm sure it was devastating to him and like kudos for him that that's the worst fucking thing that's happened to him I'm like yeah. I, it it's a weird balance because I feel like um for me you you don't want to overwhelm people with your trauma and your drama <laughs> and yeah. and people can be very overwhelmed and especially in this business um in order to get, as you just said, in order to kind of rise to the top, most of the people that rise to the top, they already started out um, halfway up, you know, the, the bank of elevators or, you know, staircase 
as you did. You know what I mean? It's like some people start on the 50th step. Some people start on the hundredth step and in entertainment, like people started the 200th step, right? They come from families of privilege in terms of race class, gender, oriented, all of the things, you know, all of the things, (laughs) all of the things, right? And so um, when you start much lower on that, on that staircase, it it is just like, you have to work harder, you have to be luckier, you have to just, things have to fall into place. Um, I think determination too, like I think that, you know, we have, we all have a level of privilege, on yeah. different levels for sure. Yeah, but, exactly. Every I mean, single person. Yeah. Seeing that you went through, I mean, the first sentence of your bio is like nine different grade schools or something. I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. And then I kept reading. <laughs> yeah, I know. So like, was it, were you just, was it just you and your mom? I didn't read anything about siblings. No, um, it, it was me and my mom until I was about three weeks old. And then my mom left my uh, biological father who uh, was a raging alcoholic and very abusive. And I found out later in life was also um, bipolar and definitely had mental illness issues and whatever. Um, By the secret service were watching over him? Yeah, I found that side of my family on Facebook about two years after he died. And um, so I talked just over um, like email and um, Facebook messenger and stuff with some of those quote, family members um, who have informed me, like, just by the way, we're just going to add to your, like, book of crazy um, in terms of him and other people in my family and, like, other mental, you know, mental illness obviously tends to be very genetic. And so a lot of, um, like, my aunts and other people in that side of the family, in addition to my biological father, like, had severe mental illness. And, yeah, so they were like, oh, yeah, and this one time um, he got arrested or, or, uh, the Secret Service started calling family members because right. he was threatening a president outside of the White House. I mean, and it's it no loss at the school. It's no <laughs> loss at the school council. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, that was a fun bit. So, yeah. yeah, and then we lived with my grandparents, my maternal grandparents, until I was uh, in around two, two and a half. And then my mother um, met my stepfather, um, and they moved in together and they had two kids, my siblings who are, um, honestly the closest thing, like in terms of my whole family, mm-hmm. the two of them are, are everything to me. Um, you know, it was never, a you know, it was never a, they're my half and, and you're not, you know, mm-hmm. full siblings. It was like, they were it. Um, yeah. and luckily, I mean, they're also, I mean, we all have our struggles, but luckily like they've done pretty, they've been very resilient too. Like they are, both of them are, um, have their own families. They're both married. They both have children. They both own their own homes. Um, and so we've just kind of taken different paths. They're all back in Maine, you know, living the rural life and the family life. And I'm out here with, you know, um, but you're such a dog. I mean, everybody's got their different paths, you know, but I I think like going back to the thing, like, about the confidence it takes to a go into any kind of secondary education for instance like that alone takes oh, bravery yeah yeah like, it was so, um, it, it was more than a fish out of water when i went to college yeah. i mean i my 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 stepdad which let's just call him my dad cuz that's the only dad i ever knew um my dad only went to 8th grade and my mom went through high school and um and we're from Maine, which um, for any real Mainers, um, they know that Maine is really like the Arkansas of the North, right? Like Maine tends, you know, it's a hard way, it's a hard way to live. Like Maine is a, it's, it's hard living, you know? And so um, I think that me going to school, even though I was only going to Boston, it was like, I, I like to, kind of categorizes it as it was like I was in school with all these I went to a women's college and I was in school with all these girls who um I call them like the matching Volvo and Golden Retriever crew you know what I mean like they pulled up and their parents moved them into school and they right. came to parents weekend and they all had their like uh you know extended Volvo wagons and their two Golden Retrievers you know right with rhyming names and like that was that's alien to me completely yeah. alien to me um so it was really hard. I mean, I thought about transferring back to a school closer, even though I was only like an hour away from home, um, just so I could be with my high school friends. You know, yeah. high school yeah, was the time that I was at a school for three years. Um, I was really lucky in that 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, I was all at the same school. And it was like, those people knew me 
more than anyone else, even though they'd only known me for three years. That was the most that I had had. Um, yeah. And I didn't transfer and I'm glad about that. I love my school. I went to Simmons College for undergrad and I love that place and I love the people I met there. Um, and I really was lucky to have great professors and mentors there. Yeah. And I think that's it. And, and most of the time these are all women. I had female teachers in high school. And then even, even if I was only at a school for a year, I remember my third grade teacher, you know, it's like all these women really, um, saw something in me and encouraged me, you know? Mm -hmm. So even though I was bounced around and then when I went to college, I was just like, it was like a fish in the middle of the Mojave essentially. Um, I was, I was lucky and then I, there were those women out there. And I think both the firecrack department and chicks with scripts, like that's where we come from is yeah. that like, well, like, how did I get here? Because that really is an interesting question if I step outside myself and say, you know, I might not every day be happy with where I am. I think that that's what we all struggle with is you always want to be more or, or farther along or whatever, especially in the entertainment business. Um, but if I look back, it was like this woman here, this woman there, this woman there, you know, you know, so, yeah. I mean, I think that's why I'm here. I think, uh, I think there's got to be something inside you too. Like, I think it's so curious. I'm so curious about it because, you know, we, ref we look outside and go, oh, I'm going to do that one day. But if you don't yeah. have anybody around you that is the thing you want to do. Mm. Um, <laughs> I think my answer is codependency <laughs> because um, I'm classic in that I'm, you know, I'm the child, I'm the child of addicts, um, both uh, alcohol and other things. And, uh, I am the oldest and I'm a female obviously. And, um, I think that, and, and also changing those schools and moving constantly, that gave me a certain ability to, you, you can look at it from two sides. It either a made me manipulative as hell and or <laughs> made right, me that's able to adapt, right? right? So I'm a very adaptable human being. I can go somewhere and I can make it work. Um, and in addition to that, the codependency side is often when you're a child of addicts and you're the oldest and, and you're lucky enough to have some, you know, God or natural given gifts, whatever, however you want to look at it, um, you take a certain responsibility onto yourself that other kids don't have to do, you know? So like right. I was always too, you know, much more mature for my age than people would expect. And, you know, I had three jobs when I was in high school and I started working when I was, you know, working at an actual place when I was like 13. And I started doing like part-time work for my teachers after school when I was like 12. So I think wow. it's kind of like, I felt this pressure that like, I could fix everything. So I'm going to grow up and get this big job and I'm going to, I actually thought I was going to be a doctor and I ended up being a lawyer. And then I was like, I don't like this either. <laughs> but, but this idea that I was going to grow up and financially take care of everybody. And then I was going to help lead my brother and sister on a path of education and being able to move into the middle class. You know, we, we lived, I know, cause I did my parents' taxes starting when I was like 14. We lived on like $11,000 a year for a family wow. of five, you know? So like, Part of it, I think, was is the positive side of codependency. <laughs> the negative side exists too, and uh, I definitely have some of that. And then also, well, what's the negative side of that? How does that transpire? Like, it feels like you took on responsibility. Yeah. Not everybody yeah. does that. Like, some people could look at it and go. I'm just going to join you in that. Yeah, I mean, place. people go both ways. If you look at me and you look at my siblings, we all we all handled the situation differently. You know, it's always interesting to me to look at a family with multiple children and see how the kids go different ways. You know, my siblings and I actually, we have a lot in common, but our lives look completely different. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's interesting to me, but I don't know. I mean, I, I was, I was lucky in that I, in addition to kind of, what a lot of people, I don't love this term, but just to use as shorthand, like if you look at how I grew up, it's very white trash, right? I lived in trailers, my parents were unemployed, there was a lot of addiction, there was a lot of mental illness and, and abuse and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I had 
middle to upper middle class grandparents on my mom's side and they weren't educated themselves but all of their friends were educated you know they hadn't gone to college but their friends were professors at like the college of william and mary or their yeah. friends were and they were all like ski friends i mean that's the thing right. with maine it's like skiing oddly enough um I think actually helped a lot with my opportunities because my grandparents lived in a ski town and they made friends with all of these, we call them flatlanders. They're people who come from, not from Maine, um, <laughs> people who come from the flatlands, you know, from, from, um, and New York isn't flat, but we call them that. So like flatlanders from Massachusetts and from New Jersey and people who came up to ski because skiing is kind of like a, um, elitist sport or can mm -hmm. be um and so they made friends with these people these out-of-towners and those people had education and those people could tell me like yeah you can go to college like they made it i knew them so i knew they weren't that different from us you know mm -hmm. like i could look at that and say you know they'd have fancy friends over and they'd pay, play um they'd play cards and 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 drink crown royal and like Right. eat smoked salmon and be fancy and I was like oh I can do that you know right. so you had that vision you saw yeah, that and be my like... grandparents kind of like crossed that class barrier in terms of who their friends were mm -hmm. and they hung out with out-of-town intellectuals <laughs> and so right you know and I looked up to those people I mean they were a big deal to me I was like oh you have a car that's less than 10 years old wow right. for fancy people <laughs> no. um, so it's just you know we're all a confluence is that the word congruence confluence let's go with confluence we're all a confluence <laughs> of a million different things right and um and i'm just like everybody else in that way i just maybe had more things put into the batter and did you always know that you were gonna go into law because no, no, I'm, no. I'm curious about like was it going into law because of the social justice impact or the financial impact growing up i always um until about sixth grade, I thought I was going to be an author, like I wanted to write books. And then I don't know what happened, but some around sixth grade, I was like, something got into my head that like authors don't make money. Right. <laughs> yeah. And because making money and like buying my mom a house and putting my siblings through college and all this stuff was in my head. And again, no pressure. said I had to do that. I don't yeah. know where it came from. It <laughs> right. Came, you know, yeah. But no pressure, like for a kid to grow up going. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But like no cross to bear. I just yeah. was going to fix everyone's problems. <laughs> read, read Melody Beatty, everyone. Um, but that, um, whose daughter is a TV writer, oddly enough. But um, that I thought it was going to be a writer. And then I was like, oh, writers don't make any money unless you're really lucky and get super famous, right? Like Stephen King or something, you know, who's a mayor. Um, but that's not normal. And, uh, and so then I was going to be a doctor and then my grandfather got, um, cancer and I was like, Oh, I'm going to be an oncologist. <laughs> like it just little things right. kept coming in. Cause I'm going to fix everything all and the time. The reason, yeah. And then the reason that I did not become a doctor is because of organic chemistry in college. <laughs> I was like, I got a B and I struggled really hard for that B. And I, I'm, I've always been a perfectionist, which has lapsed in my older age, but I was a perfectionist for a very long time. And I was like, oh my God, it's so hard. I can barely like scrape past with like a B minus. And that was not something I was used to. And, um, and I hated lab classes, hated right. them. And I was like, if this isn't gonna require me to spend, you know, three to six more years in lab classes, there's no way I'm not right. gonna do it. So then the only thing I knew besides, you know, what you hear, who makes money? Doctors make money, lawyers make money, you know, and I didn't have any professionals in my family. And so I was like, okay, well, doctor is out, I'll be a lawyer. <laughs> Right. Right. Just yeah. checking through the yeah. same it, Well, I also had an amazing, amazing professor, um, Dr. Sue Stafford, who is also a pilot. She's just amazing. Oh my God. She was um, the head of the philosophy department at my school. And I was in the honors program at my college. And she taught, we were required to take like a cross-disciplinary course. And so the one that I took as part of the honors program was um, kind of, it was like an ethics course taught by the head of the bio department and the head of the philosophy department together. And so because I had her for that class, 
she recruited me because I just got in arguments a lot with the other women in my class. She'd be like, you have a good debating skill. (laughs) Yeah. She was like, she recruited me to the debate team. And then through that, she recruited me to become a philosophy major. And I was like, well, I guess I have to be a lawyer because there's nothing else I can do with this degree. And uh, so I just was like, well, that's my other option. And it was really like very much um, just uh, my, my options were twofold and that was it right? It was, okay, well, doctor's out, then I have to become a lawyer. Were you not deterred by the financial restraints of, like, education at that point? No, I, again, I got really lucky in that um, my undergrad, except for, like, books and housing fees, which God knows those add up to, but um, those, uh, I had a a scholarship because I was in the honors program, so I didn't have to pay tuition. It was a private school, Um, and it was cheaper for me to, to go to a private college in the middle of Boston than it was to go to university of New Hampshire where I lived at the time um, because of that, because private schools have money to give you. Right. Right. Um, and I have been, uh, I've never been afraid of using what I call my mini violin. Right. Like I've never been afraid of being like, yeah, I grew up like this and it was hard. Um, and you should give me money because of it. <laughs> like you shouldn't be embarrassed and you shouldn't hold back because people want to help you. Yeah. And if you, if you can't be honest about, about who you are and what makes you, you, then people aren't going to notice step forward and to offer you, offer yeah. you thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like somebody, it's like people saying, if you need any help and you're like, well, yeah, actually yeah. I, I'm going to actually be still for a second go, yeah, I do need help. Yeah. Well, but I, I think we're under, what, where do you think that comes from? Because I think we have this idea that we're always having to be self-sufficient and I, I'm okay. I'll just, let me just work harder and figure it out yeah. myself. Well, I knew, I knew the one thing I didn't have was money, <laughs> right? right? Like uh, the only people I knew that had money, money and my idea of what money was, was my grandparents. My grandparents were really only middle class and mm-hmm. my grandfather um, had retired from running his own trucking business and my grandmother had been a stay-at-home mom and a housewife homemaker for years. And so they didn't really have money to help me. They helped me when they could. They helped me with books. They helped me with a ton. Um, but at the same time, they didn't have an extra $50,000 a year lying around to send me right. to college. And I had just known from when I was younger, like, I also, I'm not afraid of being broke, right? When, you're, when right. you've been broke your entire life. You've seen it. You're not afraid of being broke. I'm still yeah. not afraid of being broke. And sometimes I wish I were <laughs> because um, uh, I just, I don't care. Like, it's not my motivator. Um, it's my motive. It was my motivator in that I knew I needed to go into a career where I made lots of money in order to do all those codependent acts that I was really wrapped up in at the time. But it was never like, so I can be a baller and like drive a Lambo. (laughs) This is not how I work. Um, And and again, it's, it's something that sometimes I wish I did because I'm not good with money. When you grow up and your parents are horrible with money and they barely have any anyway, you learn those skills. And it's really interesting because my sister and I are both crap with money. And my brother is like the best saver you would ever just the opposite way, you know? And it's like people react the way they do. So with, in terms of, cost of college and law school I was really lucky in both accounts in terms of getting scholarships and knowing how to kind of present myself to say I'm worth investing in yeah and um I will do this and I'm interested like I I enjoy learning like if I could just stay in school forever I'm one of those people that would yeah at the same time it was like I wasn't afraid of going into debt because well I was going to be a doctor or lawyer and they're all bazillionaires <laughs> because in my head someone right. made like thousand dollars a year was like so rich. Oh my gosh, what do you do with all that money? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, how do you do it? Yeah, you just <laughs> what you have like, more than one room in your house? What yeah, do you use it for? Just, like, I bought it. You know, you bought a mansion on every uh, every street in Monopoly. You know, right. it was just yes. yeah. just you don't actually know what money is and what money means um, yeah. when you don't have it. You know, to my mother, my mom, it's still jaw dropping to my mother. If I, if I pay $40 for a pair of jeans, you know, right. she's just like, it blows her mind. Yeah. Um, and I now have the same thing. Like, oh, it's a deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My father's like, why would you waste money? Like for, I can get you a pair of jeans for 10. So yeah, that's exactly. like in my makeup yeah. now. So when yeah. I do, I remember, I remember doing a play once and they bought me a pair of shoes to, to, for the costume. And I was like, this is an $80 pair of shoes. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> it's like ooh la la. Like, ooh, I'm dancing now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's funny. I think um, it was just I, I've never been afraid 
I've never been afraid of money because I'm right. always going to find it. I'm always going to have a roof over my head. So does head. that like, make you spend it really fine. easily then? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and no, like I, there are things that people spend money on that I do not understand. I like do what? not understand. Um, like, like really high end vehicles, like, um, by paying full price. Like I love labels, right? Like if someone was like here, just like go into like a salon and buy everything you want, I'd be like, okay. But at the same time I'd be like, but is there a sale? (laughs) Right, right, right. Yes. I'm with you. (laughs) You I'm with you. And I, I do a lot of thrifting and whatever, and you should see me, I get more excited. It's like I won the lottery. If I find like, oh my God, I found these, um, I don't know. I found these Marnie shoes and I only paid $25 for them. You know, right? like, my you almost want to keep the mind. price tag on just to let <laughs> yeah, people know exactly. the victory. We're like, yeah, people will be like, Oh, I really like those boots. And I'm like, yeah, they're Aqua Italia. I only paid $20 for them. <laughs> like I make right. a point of telling people like, <laughs> I feel like that's such a lady thing too. $500 like, shoes, but don't yeah. worry. I paid nothing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's why I'm scuffing the heck out of them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think so it's like, interesting though. I'm just not afraid. Like, yeah. I'm not afraid of being broke. And I think it's probably harder for someone who grew up with a certain level of comfort and comfortability around uh, a living situation around money to then mm-hmm. say, okay, well, like I'm going to go take, you know, I've had this conversation with other people who are like, I can't quit my job and, t- and try to get a writer's PA job because I, I get paid this much and I have full health care and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I'm like, well then how I can't help you. You're, you're telling me you want me to help you get, get on a show. And then I say, okay, I will help you get on a show to the best of my ability. By the way, do you know that they only make $600 a week? (laughs) And then they're like, what? I can't do that. And I'm like, that's, I think that's so interesting. Those are your options. (laughs) Yeah. And like how big are your dreams and how big are your fears? Right. Yeah. And when they're like, I can't, I'm like, no, no, no. I am not the person that you can tell that you cannot live on $600 yeah. a month. You can live on $600 a month. Um, you can live in LA on $600 a month. Is it going to be painful as fuck? Yeah. 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 It is. It's not going to be pleasant. Right. It's not. And that, that's just how it is. Um, I mean, I went from practicing law full time, making a very good salary yeah. um, to being a showrunner's assistant, you know, and tell what me about that, that transition. It means, it means I cater waiter on the weekends. It means I work seven days a week. Right. It means that I sell shit on eBay. It means, you know, it means that you have to figure it out. Right. Yeah. And if you, and again, all of this, me being someone who can figure it out has made me a better assistant has made me, um, someone who I is more, you know, it's like a combination of being resilient and being resourceful. And I wouldn't have those things if I hadn't grown up in the specific situation I did with the parents I did with mm-hmm. in the environments I did, like it just wouldn't happen, you know? So I think it's also a thing where you have to look at what did your life and your life experiences give to you. Um, and you know, sometimes those are going to pan out. Like, yeah, I, can, I can work seven days a week. I can't now I'm old now, but like in my mid twenties, girl, girl, I would right. just work. I would work 80 hours a week. I worked, right. I worked a full-time job all through law school and I was in law school full-time. I worked more than one full-time job all during college. Um, but now there's no way I'm, I, I can't work seven days a week, but, <laughs> but when I could, I did. And people are just so afraid of being uncomfortable. And it's like, right if you look working in entertainment is being uncomfortable, right? You're going to be unemployed a lot. You're going to get told no a lot. You're going to be told, you know, I could never, I know you're an actor. I could never be an actor. And I think a lot of that is the uncomfortability that comes with the vulnerability that comes with acting. Like that goes past my line, right? Like my line is here. And like that line is, is past where my uncomfortable uh, acceptance goes, (laughs) my uncomfortability acceptance goes. But if you're going to be in entertainment, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable or you're not going to make it. Yeah, I love that so much. But I think also what you just said about like, like when you, you're at the, at the point that you left your work in law and said, I'm going to start being a writer, there must have been a place that you went, this scares the hell out of me, but I want it so badly. I'm okay with the fear. Yeah. Like, and I think some people aren't like some people go, that scares me so much that I can't do it. And that's okay too. But recognizing like, 
that's your level. That's your line, right? It's that's the line helpful you're talking to about. say, what else can life do to me? It is helpful. Right. Um, it's helpful to say I've gone through X, Y, and Z, and that was pretty fucking horrible. And, you know, like, for example, my father is in prison and my sister and I put him there just to add a little more. I don't put that in my bio because again, I don't want to give people um, a trauma overdose, but um, my, my dad was abusive and my sister and I put him in jail when we were in our early thirties. And I think that, uh, and it destroyed my family, um, but my family was already destroyed. We just hadn't acknowledged it. And I think that when things like, when, when you live a life that's kind of, dealing with those sort of issues, you know, or you said your father has cancer. I just lost a friend who was only 33 years old to breast cancer. And her husband is one of my closest friends. And it's like, I look at him and it's a horrible situation and I adored her. But the, the thing that is, that he is going to get from this is what's going to be worse than that. What's going to be worse. There's not going to be anything worse for him. So his fear is it recalibrates your fear, right? when you've gone through something that's just horrific or devastating or, or your life is something on a Tuesday and the very next morning on Wednesday, your life is completely something else. Like it recalibrates, you know, where, where your gauges are for fear and for avoidance of being uncomfortable, you know? So I think that that for me is part of it. Um, I'm not the kind of person that your parents want you to grow up to be because I'm like, Oh, I'm moving across the country now. Bye. Oh, and I'm going to quit my uh, six figure job and go make 30 grand a year. Bye. Like I'm not, I'm not that person, you know, and I'm not financially stable. Um, and I'm almost 40 years old and some, for some people that's not worth it, you know, and for me it is, but it also means that I don't have a family. I don't have children. I don't want children. Um, it's a very different type of lifestyle. Um, but it's the one that I, I want and I choose and I have to put up with the negative sides of it as well. And did you have hesitation when you went into writing more? Did you have that transition of going like, oh, maybe this isn't? I am, it's weird because I, I'm a risk taker, but I'm also someone who's a little risk averse sometimes. So what I did was I was practicing law full time and um, I actually had worked at an agency prior to going into, um, I like, I took the message. I was in, I was back East. I took the Massachusetts bar while I was waiting for those bar results. I moved out here to the California bar. I was really lucky in that I passed both on my first try while I was waiting for my bar results. Um, I got a job at what used to be Endeavor, which is now WME. Um, and I was an assistant on a business affairs desk because I was, I was kind of burnt out on the type of law I had done prior to that and in college and, and law school kind of more public public service stuff. Um, I'm pretty, um, I hate when people say I'm an empath, but like I'm an empath. (laughs) It uh, it, it just, I carried a lot home with me every day and I just can't do it anymore. And God bless the people that can, but like, I I just can't. I had enough trauma in my life that I just, I can't. And, um, and so that's why I was curious you went into it. I'm like, now, now you're facing (laughs) everybody else's trauma. Like, yeah, and I, and I with... can handle it. It's like yeah. I was doing a lot of asylum work, which is like uh, makes my story look like Pollyanna. But um, maybe uh, that's why. Maybe you needed to have like you thought your tr- <laughs> like your trouble was bad, and then somebody else's reflects. So you can oh, have yeah, gratitude, that was, but... smack the smack the the little tear right off your face. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was working with refugees who had like come from Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of Congo and all these places who had just again, made my little trauma story look like a joke. But um, so what I did is I was, I had worked at Endeavor. I only lasted for about seven months before the writer's strike of 2007 started. So I went and got a quote real job. um, And I said, okay, I'm going to take writing classes um, while I go work at a law firm. And that's what I did is I took um, a writing class at the UCLA Extension School. um, And I, it didn't give me the ability to trans, transition right away, but what it did was it kind of reminded me that it was there if I wanted to try yeah. it out. And I worked as a lawyer full-time for about four years before I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this either. Because entertainment law, I was like, oh, this is sexy. This is fun. I'm, I'm helping like support artists. No, it's the yeah. same boring shit. But it's it also like matter. you're watching everybody else doing the thing yeah. you really want yeah. to do, yeah. which I think is torture. Yeah. 
but it's like, look, pushing paper is pushing paper and it's just not for me. And I'm a little too, too weird. And again, that's another thing with my background is like, you can't really grow up to be like a quirky, like foul mouthed, like loud, obnoxious chick. And then be like, I'm going to wear a gray pantsuit every day to work. Like it's it's not going to happen. And so, um, what I did at the end of about that four years where I had, where I had worked full time at a law firm, which did like bankruptcy and litigation is, um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back. I'm going to take this class at UCLA extension while I'm still working at the law firm. And so I said, okay, I'm going to put, I'm going to write this spec. I wrote a breaking bad spec. Um, and I'm going to put in these contests. And because I'm a writer and I need a lot of validation, I was like, these people will tell me if I'm shit or not. Right. So I took that one UCLA extension course, I wrote that spec. Um, I submitted it to like Austin and to some of the, um, the TV writing programs or whatever. But I remember, um, the first one that came back or maybe it was, um, Scriptapalooza, Scriptapalooza in Austin. And I wrote it, I sent it in, had never written any sort of TV or script thing ever before. And then when I got it back, I was living with an ex-boyfriend, um, at the time and I got it back and like, I had placed in like the second round at Austin and I had placed like top 10% in script blueza. Wow. And I was like, Oh, I'm not crap at this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well then, then it becomes, okay. I've had some validation. Someone else. Yeah. Cause I don't know what makes a good script at that point. Like I didn't know if it was good or not. Like, like every artist you're like, this could, and let me rephrase like any, artist with a huge ego, which includes myself. It was like, okay, either this is going to change the world or it's the worst piece of shit that's ever been typed on a sheet right. of paper. And so by having those contests, which is really what I think they're good for, <laughs> um, say you're not shit, maybe you should try this out. It gave me kind of the oomph to say, um, okay, I'm going to go back into entertainment. Right. And so I went back and I worked in business affairs again. So like I had an open door because I'd already worked in business affairs mm-hmm. and I knew that getting back in kind of the entertainment circles was what I had to do in order to then later make a jump to working on shows. So I did that for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then I got a job being a showrunner assistant and then I left the production company I was working at in business affairs as an assistant still. Um, again, like took that pay cut that just makes people cry. No, um, but the, but being comfortable. Like, okay. This is what I'm doing. And honestly, like it was the best thing I ever did. Um, I worked for that showrunner for three years. And during that time, I also got in the writers in the verge program and it was just, it's not like I went in blind. I didn't leave law blindly saying, I'm going to go be a big TV writer, mm-hmm. which by the way, I'm still not a big TV writer, but you're closer <laughs> um, than you were before. I, I am closer than I was before, but it, it, um, it allowed me to do a risk analysis and say, you know, they didn't tell me I was crap. So if I'm, if I'm not crap and this is the first thing I've written, then, um, once I educate myself, uh, I will be less crap <laughs> than it is right now. I like and the risk so I assessment. Took, I just, I went back. Um, and while I was working for that showrunner's assistant, um, I was also taking classes. I took a ton yeah. of classes at Script Anatomy, which is a place that I still once in a while take classes now and where I send everyone that's um, looking. Um, yeah. That's where I, I direct people to go because it gave me all of my closest friends. And I mean, it really changed my life. And then, you know, and then you're just off to the very slow races that is climbing the assistant ladder, um, which I'm still there. I'm just, uh, I, I have, I believe climbed that ladder. I'm just, I call it like, it, I have this analogy that there's is a mountain and on the top of the mountain, there's a train platform and there's a train coming, but you don't know when it's coming. And so I feel like I've climbed the mountain and now I'm on the platform and I'm just waiting for my train to come in. And it's taking a really fucking long time. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I did my part. I did my job and my job yeah. isn't over, you know, like I just finished another pilot last week, but I've done a lot of the climb and now it's just, you know, it's waiting. And at what point were you like, I have to do something like chicks with scripts. I have to found something that has that kind of momentum. It was way back when. Um, so I 2010? It's been 10 years. Wow. Years That's extraordinary though. You must feel so victorious having something like that oh, as a I, legacy. I, 
it's amazing and what's happened with it has been amazing um and uh so it started out is when i decided that i was going to become a tv writer and it wasn't like a, i'm gonna try this it was like this is what i'm doing now and that's kind of i'm kind of that person like i'm very decisive once i make a decision so once i decided back when i was leaving the law firm and going back into that kind of entertainment business affairs assistant route i was like okay i here's what i need to do to get where i want to go i need to take classes i need to write i learn i need to learn all these things and i need to meet people and the only group that i found at the time was the tv writers group on yahoo which still exists and was a great jumping off point for me but I love women. <laughs> I, I happen to be straight. It's a curse from God, but, um, <laughs> I love women. I love hanging out with women and talking to women and being around women. Like there's just, I think women are magical creatures. And I went to the, a couple meetups of the TV writer, the TV writers group. And I was like, there's not enough ladies here. I want more ladies. And it's a different, it's a different yeah. world for us. Yeah. Right. It just is. And even and it, then it was even worse. I mean, San Diego State puts out um, numbers every year on how many women are behind the camera and in front of the camera and writers and all this stuff. And, and the numbers are crap. They are complete crap. Um, it, it it's still a business that is a man's business. Yeah. And I was like, I just want ladies. I want to hang out. I don't want to have some guy either hit on me or like try to interview me about what he can get out of me. Right, like, right, right. Yeah. I just want to hang out. And and. It, I didn't want it to be this ultra professional thing. I just wanted to hang out with other women who were trying to do what I was doing. Um, and so I started with just a listserv of women that I had met in some classes and that was it. And in the beginning, it was literally like 30, 40 women. Um, I call them girls. I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm a B minus um, uh, feminist. So it is what it is. Um, and I was like, I know these 40 girls, I'm going to put them on the listserv and we're going to start just having drinks. And that's what we did. And now we're over 800. Amazing. Um, and it doesn't mean that everyone participates at the same level, but it's really about the social aspect. It's about hanging out. It's about being comfortable. Um, because men are so good <laughs> at like that. I hate the word everyone does. Like they're so good at networking and they're so good yeah. at like, I mean, look at fraternities, right? Like there's a reason that like, you know, fraternity is a word that is used a lot more than sorority, right? It's right. Because right, right. for years, like alums of colleges, like, and I just think, I don't know, like, and it's not because men are more social and it's not because men are better at yeah. something that we're not. It's just like, for some reason, I think women are always helping other people and don't think of themselves and I think yeah. we can do the same I think we can do both of those things at the same time right I agree and help other women at the same time a hundred percent cost you it doesn't yeah. have to cost you it can be um you can it actually can serve both. Chaotic. You can serve yourself yeah. and somebody else yeah. at the same and there's nothing wrong with trying to yeah. serve yourself. Oh you know it's girl. like the, the, it's like like the math. jobs that I've gotten yeah exactly the last like three jobs I've gotten have been from uh, getting someone who I know through Chicks with Scripts, who I might have gotten a job a couple of years ago, calling me, who's now who's now in 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 the mix in terms of like jobs on shows as writer assistants and script coordinators and what what have you, who have been like, oh, I heard about this job. You know, do you need a job? I'm like, yes. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like the show I'm on now. I'm currently on High School Musical. The musical is serious. Um, as a script coordinator, because I wanted to move over to comedy, and it's the best room ever. And um, I got that through uh, a, a friend that I made through Chicks with Scripts, yep. who I got her a job last year. <laughs> so yeah. it's nice to find it. it's like, oh, these, you know, I don't know. But the I think the problem sometimes writers happens. Writers are now helping me. Yeah, and that's the way it should be. The problem that happens sometimes is that we are not. I say we in a real general way, but we're not clear with what we want. Oh, and we're not being that. Like if I go, like I, I'm, in, I want my own show. That's a goal yeah. of mine. Why am I? Why do I think that it's not right to say that out loud? Yeah. If I say it out loud, then the other people are like, you know what? She would be good. Like you start to have that discussion as opposed to, I don't know. I'm. I mean, sometimes I'm funny uh, and they belittle yeah. and belittle and don't have a clear vision of what they want. So they don't know what to ask for. I like to say like, 
I have a couple friends who like male friends who are like this. Well, they'll, they'll get hired at a job in my head or often to their face. I'm like, you don't know how to do that fucking job. Like, you don't know how, right. like, what are you talking right. about? Like the balls on this guy. Right. And then it's like, yeah, but they take it and they figure it out and they get the job and, yep. and they fake it till they make it. And it's women. I, in my experience and how I operate, I will find myself being like, unless I'm the expert, then I can't do this, right? I have to be the expert at something before I take that step. Whereas men are like, I can't turn on a computer, but I'll be a coder. Cool. Like that's this, it's just, yeah. I'm like, make some, let's make some beautiful mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just figure it out. And I'm not pretending I know how to do any of the things that I've done last month, technically, but I'm going to try my best. And I promise you, I'm not going to give up. And being willing to be like, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. I feel like at jobs and this happens now, like I'll, I'll be on a show and there'll be like a new PA and the difference between a PA who can come up and be like, Hey Eva, like I know you've been on a bunch of shows or, you know, the, the assistants kind of like pole of authority (laughs) kind of like the writer's assistant is in the middle. The script coordinator is kind of above that person in terms of, of kind of, maybe who's been around the longest and has the most experience, then your writer's PA is often kind of new. new. Um, and the ones who come to me and say, hey, um, do you know this? Or do you know how I can do this? Or do you have any uh, ideas? Versus the PA who either doesn't try at right. all or just says, I know how to do this and then fucks it up. I hold grudges. Okay. You just, if you don't ask, it doesn't have to be me. You can ask any other writers, whatever, whoever you feel comfortable talking to on your show. But if you ask and just say, I don't know how to do this. And can you help guide me versus if you just do it and you fail or you don't do it at all because you don't know, like I will have an opinion about you on that forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it will impact if I help you get a, your next job. It'll impact how if the upper level writers ask me, how do you think the writer, the writer's PA did this season? Because they will ask me because I'm the one kind of seeing what that person's doing on the backside. It'll, it'll affect my evaluation of that person. You know what yeah. I mean? And we're only human. Like, yeah, we're exactly. To make mistakes. Like, we're not see, robots. Like, or if you do fuck something up, like Own it. go to one of the writers or yeah. go to one of the assistants you feel comfortable with or hell, go to an assistant on another show. Yeah. So it's, you know, so you can hide your <laughs> culpability and be like, I fucked this up. How do I fix it? You know, I just listened like, to this really great it. episode of Brene Brown talking about apologies. It's so, it's so good. And it's so like, I think it's okay to make mistakes. Yeah. As long as you follow it up with, hey, I'm really sorry about that. I, I learned my lesson or... I'm going to right. do things differently. Like, yeah. we're, and so, we're supposed you know, to. Yeah. And speaking of her, right, the whole power of vulnerability thing. When yeah. you are telling someone, I fucked up or I need help, that's what you're saying. You're saying, yeah. I'm vulnerable here. And especially when you are dealing with artists, when you are dealing with writers on a show, like, it doesn't matter if someone's the writer's PA or the staff writer or the showrunner or the co-EP. It does not matter. It, yeah. it could be the exec who's coming to visit, visit your writer's room that day. Like, everybody thinks they're not doing the best job they can be doing. Yeah. If they don't, they're a sociopath. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, like you have oh. to be like, oh, I screwed up bad, you know? Yeah. And I think it gets easier as you do it. Like I would mess up. Like when I, I remember once I got, uh, my boss was so mad at me because I dropped a call and you cannot, I was at, um, at Endeavor at the time. You can't drop calls if you're an agency assistant. You just don't right. do it. Sure. And I, I dropped a call and I got reamed but I also just took it and then I apologized and I didn't do it again. But like, I let her know that like, this is embarrassing for me and I'm sorry this happened and, and went with it. And I think that a lot of people who have been very successful in entertainment, whether you want to be a producer or a studio exec or a writer or Sherman or whatever you want to do, like those people tend to be the people who can admit their mistakes yeah. and ask for help when they need it. And truthfully, it was a mistake. You owned it. You yeah. learned from it. You move yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. And the reason that she was so upset is because she has her own vulnerabilities. I drop a call. I'm fucking with her, right? If I drop a call, then I'm making her look bad. And so the reason, you know, you have some bosses that react stronger than others. Sometimes that reaction is tied to their own insecurities. Often it is. And you have to understand that too. It's like at the end of the day, everyone's the same, right? (laughs) Everyone is the same. We're all vulnerable. We're all shaky at different times. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's 
what connects everybody. I mean, entertainment especially is such a small world and it's a carousel. Everybody's getting on and getting off all over the place. You're going to run into people. I mean, my writers, uh, my writer's PA on a show, God, now like three, four years ago, maybe she's now a co-producer. Okay. <laughs> and like, I haven't stopped. And this girl is, she's badass and yeah. she's co a co-producer now. So like, it doesn't matter that she was the writer's PA no. when I was the writer's assistant. Because guess what? Like four years later, she's a co-producer and has been on a couple different shows, you know? And like, yeah. so it, it might, it may look like everybody's at different levels and it may say that, you know, on their paychecks or whatever, but everyone's the same. And I think that that helps with, um, how you treat other people and also your own confidence when you just realize that like, everybody's just trying to, to get something, you know, yeah. they're trying to get their next job. They're trying to impress someone. They're, they're trying, trying to, to practice their craft, right? They're trying yeah, to do the yeah. thing they want to they, they want to do right exactly I, I have to say like I could really I mean everything I did this doesn't surprise me that everything you're saying I'm like yes yes <laughs> like, we're so of the same ilk. the same thing I wrote down that Brené Brown thing because I was like oh I have to look that up oh yeah it's really good yeah, yeah it's her new podcast um I'm gonna wrap this up with a couple of not I, they, I, I call them rapid fire questions they're not but they're like short answers they're like bullet answers okay so All here right. we go okay um what do you want to be best known for um for helping women. Love it. Uh, two words to describe your present state of mind. Bored and hmm, hopeful. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. If this was a movie, your if your life was a movie, and after yeah. our discussion, you're about to roll the credits. What was the climax of your movie so far? Oh wow. Um. God. I don't know. We're not there yet. Yeah. You've had a lot of <laughs> turning points, I would say. Uh, we're not there yet. What is something that people don't know about you? Uh, let me think. When I was a Girl Scout, we, and I was in Maine, we, uh, we didn't have enough horses to get our horse badge. So we rode cows at the dairy farm of our Girl Scout leader. <laughs> and we took that motherfucking horse riding badge. <laughs> I love that. I love that image so much. <laughs> your legs just stick out. They're so wide. Your legs just stick out that way. Right. You get a, you get an extra badge for like gymnastics. Cause you yeah, have like exactly. a really good split. Yeah. Like um, what has been your best mistakes to date? My best mistake. Um, I believe in mistakes, but they're like, you know, the learning curve thing. Yeah, I think, um, My best mistake. There are so many. Um, I mean, probably not becoming a doctor. You know, mm -hmm. I think, um, yes, I made the choice to kind of change things, but uh, it all started with a lot of mistakes on uh, a lot of class assignments in college. Right. <laughs> in hard sciences. Right. <laughs> um, okay. What is something you haven't done yet, but you know you have to do within your lifetime? I want to, I want to start a, a scholarship fund. I love that. Oh my gosh. Your answers are, your answers are right. Just so you know. So you've got everything <laughs> right so far. Um, what's, and finally, what's the advice that you would have given to your younger self? You'll be fine. Yeah. You'll be fine. Oh my God, Eva, I've so enjoyed speaking with you. <laughs> no, this has been great. And when you're back in town and hopefully, you know, when this is all list lifted, we can, uh, we'll do a cross drinks. We'll do a firecracker chicks crossover. Well, we'll do it anyway. We should do a Zoom party or something. I like know. I'm These so, combined. I'm so inspired and inspired to action with the stuff that you're doing with chicks with scripts. And, uh, I, it's been nothing but rewarding and beautiful to meet all of you individually, like chatting with Braxton. And I had to chat with Emily and it's oh my God. a great, all my favorite people. Yeah. All amazing. Aren't they amazing? But you've started something so beautiful and I'm really in awe of it. So I'm proud to like have any little small part amongst you. Well, community. thank you. This was so fun. And, um, yeah, we'll join forces soon. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Have a good one.
Oh, I just hate having to wrap up these these episodes. I mean, each episode would qualify as like a mini series if I really spoke for as long as I would want to, because I could just talk forever with these people. They're so interesting. Uh, I love how much we spoke about the obligation everyone feels to keep up on their television education. I'm doing air quotes, but it just seems odd. But I get it, television education. Sometimes that's what it is. Like having seen or not seen The Wire or or seen or not seen the entire uh, Game of Thrones. I have not seen the entire thing. I've seen a couple of seasons. That's where I'm at with my Game of Thrones niche. Let us know on Instagram or Twitter. What's the one show that you wish everyone has seen? What's the one thing that you have to see, everybody? Is it The Wire? Let us know online at Firecracker D-E-P-T. You can also follow Eva on Twitter, Eva L. Taylor, and get involved with Chicks with Scripts at chickswithscripts.org. They're just amazing. They're just a fantastic group of people, and they've always got really interesting activities and events going on, even online right now. While you're online, before you watch another celebrity Zoom table read, leave us a review. Why not? Let us know what made you laugh this episode. Let us know what made you inspired or jazzed you. I want to hear all of it. I always love hearing from you. All of our team does. It really makes a difference as we grow this community. And every single review get back to our team and just makes us stronger. So thank you so much for the folks that are reviewing, are commenting, and making our community what it is. It means a lot to me. Like I always say, there's space for everyone within the firecracker department. And if you're not already part of our Facebook members group, why not? There's tons of stuff going on over there. That's our central hub for connecting with the firecracker community and where all our event reminders, conversations and connections happen. Uh, like our sparkler department, which is little firecrackers. So if you have kids, go check out the sparkler department. Or are you an actor or a writer? Because we have the script department and writing department as well. Weekly, the writing department posts a prompt on Mondays so that you can do that anytime. Plus, we do a little writing gym with bursts so you don't even have to prepare anything. We do that on Zoom every Thursday. Come and join us over there. Every Sunday, we host a community brunch on Zoom so that new and current firecrackers looking to meet other creative people like you can hang out and connect. And it's always really fun. We drink coffee, we often wear our pajamas and have bathrobes and that's the way it rolls. We always wanna know what you're doing and how we can help you move forward creatively. Monthly, we host a script department reading series, a wellness department meditation, live spark chats on Instagram with past podcast guests, and even a movie club. Yeah, there's a lot going on and there's a department and a seat for everyone at the firecracker table. Come find yours, share your voice with the world and connect with your people. Stay in the loop with everything I just threw at you by subscribing to our newsletter at firecrackerdepartment.com. Big, huge, ginormous thanks to my whole team. I'm throwing my arms up, ginormous! Everyone who's in Los Angeles, Toronto, Vancouver, New York, and all the way over in the UK. Thanks to all our core members for everything that they do online and off to make this community, this firecracker department growing into what it is becoming, which is so important to me. And from what I'm hearing from the feedback, it's important to you too, so thank you. Big thanks to Jeff Militinovic and Igor Karila for our theme music. We love it. And thanks to you. Yeah, you, the one listening right now, for taking the time to listen because we know there's a lot of options out there and we so appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Naomi, and we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department. <laughs>